Buy more, save more with a patio door at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Buy three windows, save $500. Buy six, save $1,000. Buy a dozen, save $2,000 by adding a patio door. But only through April 30th. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. In another life, I knew Rudy Giuliani before he went absolutely nuts. I, I Back in... When he was the United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, which is like Manhattan and things like that, I, I actually met him on a couple occasions. I was working in the for the U.S. Attorney's Office here, and I, he was at certain conferences and stuff. And back then, he always had the reputation of being, oh, kind of a, a glory hog. You know, it would be one of those things where the, the office would do some big indictment or something, and, and he'd have almost nothing to do with it, or actually probably nothing to do with it, but he'd hold the press conference and make the claims and stuff. And but So you, you got to know that you know he was one of these guys who was going to kind of claim credit for work that other people had, had done. But, but nevertheless, I think he had the reputation of being a hard-charging you know, United States attorney who had a, a good sense of um, you know, what criminal activity was and was willing to aggressively go after it. And I think the assistant U.S. attorneys that worked for him, even though he was kind of a glory hog who was going to take credit for their work. They liked working for him because in, in general, you know, it was important cases and things like that. So that that's the Rudy Giuliani that I met on a couple occasions. Then he went on to become the, the mayor of the city of New York. And, you know, we all know his responses on, you know, 9-11 and things like that. And then somewhere along the way, he, he just completely and totally lost his mind. And you you, you saw this with, I think, a lot of the, the craziness that went on during the 2020 election and, you know, deciding that he was going to be the guy that shows up on TV and tries to excuse stuff that's inexcusable or he's one of the people behind the scenes that's coming up with one crackpot theory after another to try to, you know, overturn the results of, of the election. And it was really just it was kind of hard always for me to watch thinking this is how did Rudy, Rudy Giuliani get from the guy that I had met in the 1980s, this hard-charging, aggressive U.S. attorney, and then America's mayor in the 90s, how, how did he get to kind of the clown car act that he was during the 2020 elections? And then you wonder, how low can you go? Uh, there, there was references to this before, but the show actually aired last night. You know, uh, The Masked Singer. Now, I am very proud of the fact that I have never watched The Masked Singer. I, I, I've never watched... I know what it is, and maybe just there, there have been clips of it on news broadcasts I've watched, but I have never sat down and watched more than five minutes of the show, and the only times I would have seen the show again had been on news clips. So last night, um, they showed the the edition where Rudy Giuliani comes out in this giant chicken suit is the best way I can describe it. And um, he performs and he gets voted off. And one, once they un- unmask him and figure out who it is, you know, one of the guys walks off. If you have not seen this, it really is worth, I don't know, about 30 seconds of your time just going, how can you get from America's mayor or an aggressive, you know, crime-busting U.S. attorney to standing on stage during The Masked Singer. If you want to see a clip of this, 
You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And I guess my, my, my notion and my overriding thought was, as I tweeted, how pathetic that it's come to this for Giuliani. Next time Rudy gets invited to wear the Pluto suit at Disney, perhaps he should remember the words of Nancy Reagan and just say no. I mean, seriously, how, how pathetic do you have to be that you're, you're, you're craving fame or attention so much that you're going to put on a multicolored, I don't know if it's a chicken suit or, or whatever, and go on America's Masked Singer. It's just, you think, wow, how desperate do you need to be for attention? If you haven't seen it, it's just absolutely, it's a mind-boggling clip. And if you want to, I've got a link to it. It's, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Wagner 620 All right. We have been talking about the mask mandates for quite a while. I am on record as saying that I think the airline mask mandate should have been allowed to expire months ago. Uh, the Biden administration continued it. And then, of course, the big news from you know earlier this week was federal judge in Tampa ruled that the CDC did not have the authority to do what it did, struck down the mask mandates. That has been greeted in most circles with, with approval, average citizens applauding. And I would think if you took an, a poll, uh, keeping the mask mandate in place, in place probably has the support of 25 to 30 percent of the people, 65 to 70 percent of the people probably go against it. So it's trying to reinstate the mask mandate is not a political winner. If you haven't looked, Joe Biden's approval ratings are in the toilet. New poll out has him at 33 percent. That seems low to me. But if you look at one poll after another, he he's way underwater. He's historically underwater. And it, it it's almost impossible to see how he comes back from that because everything he's tried to do, people just they, – they've tuned out. And this mask mandate, like I say, is, I think, politically unpopular. So you've got this deal. The Biden administration has been pushing for mask mandates. All right, The judge says no. So they have this decision to make, do we appeal it or not? If you appeal it, there, there's two risks. First of all, like I say, the mask mandate is politically unpopular. So if you appeal it, you might make some people happy, but it's another reason why a lot of other people aren't going to like you. So it's a political loser. Secondly, it is probably, I say probably, it's probably a legal loser. Um, The Justice Department can appeal it to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals and ask for a stay. I don't know that they're going to get it. Even if they get a temporary stay, they then raise this issue about what the CDC authority is. And candidly, I think they're going to lose. They might lose in the Fifth Circuit. If this case ultimately gets to the U.S. Supreme Court, I can almost guarantee you that they are going to lose because the same rationale that this district court judge used to strike down the mask mandate is the rationale that the Supreme Court has used in striking down you know, other uh, COVID mandates that were put in place and left to stay, you know, permanently. So the Justice Department, by appealing, runs the risk that, number one, they're going to lose, at least a strong possibility I think they're going to lose, and secondly, that it is an unpopular thing. So the Biden administration, trying to pull its best Pontius pilot, wa- washes its hands of this and says, well, you know, we're we're going to kick it over to the semi-political CDC, and whatever they want to do, we'll do. So the CDC says, no, you've got to appeal it. So the news last night was the Justice Department is going to seek to appeal this rule. Where it goes from here, you know, you don't know. The, the appeals court could issue a stay. They could decide not to. But 
you know, in some respects, in the worst case scenario for the Biden administration is they issue a stay and we tell all these travelers, okay, now you got to put your masks back on, which you know is going to be incredibly, incredibly unpopular. But that's where we stand right now. If you travel on airplanes, you do not have to wear masks. But it's possible that that could change in the next couple hours, given the fact that the Justice Department has done what the Justice Department did. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. Are you glad, are you happy that the Biden administration is continuing to push for the reinstitution of mask mandates, or should they have just allowed this to die? Lots of risks, like I say. First of all, I mean, I guess you wonder how low Biden's approval ratings can go, but I don't think this is going to help him any among the general public. And secondly, they now risk creating a precedent by appealing this if they, in fact, lose. And like I say, my guess is my guess is they will lose at some point in time. So are you glad that they are seeking this appeal, trying to reinstate the mask mandate, or should they just have let this go and decided, okay, maybe we'll wait for the next health crisis to try to fight this battle? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think they should have just dropped this one. I think they should have let well enough alone, let this one expire. This is an unpopular, at least in my opinion, ruling. That is the decision to make people wear masks on planes at this point in time. I think most people are past this. I don't think they're going to respond well if some court somewhere says you have to put it back on. I think politically it's going to hurt the Biden administration, and I think they might very well lose. No, I think they should have just let this one go. They're hoping by just saying, well, it was the CDC that decided they can deflect blame. I don't think that's going to happen. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. The, the decision has been made to appeal the CDC, the appeal the order and the, the hope that Biden administration has is that a judge somewhere will decide that the order to put people back in masks will go into place. I, I think there's a couple problems with this. First of all, I think it's going to be extremely politically unpopular. Secondly, I think that the Biden administration is probably going to lose and therefore set a precedent for future health situations. But I guess my question is, I mean, should they appeal it? 855-616-1620. One of our texters says, Jeff, in the words of Frozen, let it go. Let's start with Connie, (laughs) Connie in Portage. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I think they should wear the mask I'm not in a hospital and on an airplane in a nursing home. But other than that, I don't care. I don't think they have to wear them. But I really don't think the air quality is that great in an airplane. And in hosp- I'm an old RN, and I believe that in hospitals and nursing homes, you should wear the mask. People are very vulnerable. Now, would you do you believe that they should do that because of COVID or just because in, in general, because people have colds and coughs and things like that. So, I mean, would you have us wearing masks no, no. on airplanes permanently? No. Okay. No, just COVID. Just the COVID. Because they've always, like with, like when I worked in a nursing home, they, 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 you know, they'll make that judgment and they'll shut them down if there are a lot of colds or flu. So I, I think that's just COVID. How long do we do it? Because I think most of us are starting to realize that COVID is going to be with us for, forever. It's now it's kind of become endemic. 
Um, I mean, should we wear masks permanently on airplanes because of COVID? Well, the thing of it is, what bothers me is I would have said no, but they keep coming up with these new variants. Yeah. No, and they, so, so that's confusing to me. If, if we got a new variant that's going to be worse, then I would say yes. But if they stop bringing up all these variants, then I would say forget it. Okay, well, thanks for calling. I think there's always going to see that's the issue. I think there's always going to be variants. Now, the the newest variant that's out there, they say it's as infectious, but it's less serious. But I mean, obviously, if if you have somebody that's got a compromised immune system, it could be a big deal. But the flu could be a big deal too. So I guess that that's the fundamental question. What do you do? What what do you do now that we've leveled the curve, now that we've flattened the curve, but recognizing that COVID is always going to be here, do we just say that, that you have the government say you, you have to wear masks forever? Because that's, I, I think, what some people are, are looking at. And by the way, nobody says that you can't wear a mask if, if you want to. And as I've said before, my guess is a lot of people are going to wear masks, you know, for the rest of their life. And and, and that's that's fine if they want to do that. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, um, contrary to what your caller is saying, there's plenty of studies that say that with all the HEPA filters on planes that show that airlines have some of the cleanest air ever. Um, that's certainly what the airline executives are. Jeff, I think they should let it go. They keep um, extending it uh, less and less, so you would think that it was on its way out. Better to keep a bad decision than a decision that could do harm to a future president's authority. Yeah, wh- what they're referring to is you, you set a precedent. If you decide that this is this is the issue that you want to take up and, and maybe have it go to the Supreme Court and get a permanent ruling on the ability of, of say, the CDC to make rulings that they then keep in place forever. Because that's kind of what, what this is. It's not, do you have a chance and ability to make an emergency ruling, but do you have the ability to put something in place and then keep it there month after month after month after month in spite of the legislature? Keep in mind, the Senate which is 50-50, the Senate voted to do away with the mask mandate on planes. Nancy Pelosi refuses to bring that up in the House because she doesn't want to embarrass Joe Biden by, by having a vote on it, because if she put a vote to it, the, the majority, the Republicans and at least enough Democrats to swing it, they, they would vote for this as well. So I think the politicians are past this. Um, Jeff, my wife is a teacher, one day without masks, and she is beyond upset. She's dead against wearing masks. She's, of course, referring to MPS that had the one day of, you know, no masks at all. Jeff, absolutely not. This illustrates the dysfunctional hypocrisy flip-flop and of the government from the White House all the way down to local government. I think it's very tough to put the genie back in the bottle. And I think if this afternoon... You know, Jane Matinier walks in and says, Jeff, I got breaking news. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has decided to stay that judge's ruling. I, I don't I don't know how travelers would respond to that. In many respects, I think, like I say, that genie is out of the bottle and you're not going to be able to put it back in unless there's some really compelling science that the CDC has that's demonstrating, okay, how things are going to be different 
two weeks from now and how wearing masks on airplanes have dramatically reduced the incidence of COVID in the first place. The other thing that's going on now is if you were to put the mask mandate back into place, you know how much dif- how much difficulty flight attendants and pilots and had enforcing it in the first place? Now can you imagine if, well, we've changed our mind, now you have to put them back on again. It's just, I mean, it's going to be an absolute free-for-all. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Bill in Racine County. Bill, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I'm a former MPS teacher, and I've had some challenges respiratorily. Is that a word? I think it is. We know what you mean, so that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, And over the last two years, I've been pretty much obligated to use a mask. And I haven't been sick in one damn day. Mm-hmm. What do you got to say about that? Well, good. Good on you. That's what I got to say. I've uh, been home. Well, that, uh, good on I you. Think Keep the wearing mask masks. Makes a difference. Well, oh, but the, the mask ga- makes a difference. I, that, well, that's that's fine. The question is, does the government have the right to tell everybody that because you've been healthier, that everybody should wear a mask? So if I'm in the classroom, sir. So if I'm in the classroom and a kid pulls his mask down and gets in my face and starts breathing all over me um, for whatever, whatever, um, what's next? Well, for, first of all, I mean, th- thanks for the call, Bill. I don't know where we're going with this. First of all, Bill, I, I think that, you know, you probably shouldn't be in a situation where a kid pulls down his mask and starts breathing all over you. But but here's the bottom line. We went to schools without masks for how, since there have been schools, okay? <laughs> this is it. And, and yes, I, I understand that why individuals might want to wear masks because, you know, just forget COVID. Just the, the, there's, you limit the transmittal of, transmission of germs. I, I understand all, all that, and that's fine. And that's why, Bill, if you want to go back in a classroom and you want to keep wearing a mask, I say go with God. That, that's, that's fine. But, um, this idea that we have the government then come in and tell you that everybody has to wear masks for the rest of their life without taking into any account the fact that the, any sort of the negative effects that masks may in fact have, oh, okay, that that's fine. But I think the vast majority of people would say, no, you know, we, we want kids to be able to like, and I, I'm talking about the planes right now as opposed to classrooms, which are admittedly a little bit of a different thing. But the bottom line is we, we've, we've gone to school without masks forever. And so maybe for people who want to use COVID as this excuse to now have the government come in and control behavior, that, that's, all, that's all well and good. That, that, that's great. I guess my advice would be if you were that worried about being in a classroom around other people in general, well, maybe you need to avoid that particular situation. In general, this is a tough decision for the Biden administration. They've decided to try to reintroduce the requirement I think they're going to be lucky if the court says no, because candidly, I don't think the vast majority of people will accept that. Well, ready or not, he says he might be running for president again. Who am I talking about? Donald Trump? No, no, no. We don't know what Donald Trump is going to do. Who might be running for president again? Bernie Sanders. Hand to God. Here's the story in The Washington Post. Sanders has not ruled out another run for president if Biden doesn't. Senator Bernie Sanders 
independent Vermont is open to running for president in 2024 if President Biden declines to seek reelection. According to a campaign memo, Senator Sanders has not ruled out another run for president. Um, So any questions about 2024 should be answered with that in mind, says the memo from a close Sanders advisor. Okay, so Bernie Sanders is, of course, an avowed socialist. He's run for president, the Democratic nomination for president, a handful of times, lost to Hillary Clinton, lost to Joe Biden. But he says he, he's still he's ready to get apparently back in the ring. So don't count him out. For those of you who are wondering, Bernie Sanders is 80 now. So let's let's fast forward. Uh, 83, 84, if he were to be elected when he would take office, 83 or 84. Don't mean to be ageist here, but if if America wants to elect a socialist, in 2024, can't we find a younger socialist than, than Bernie Sanders? And, and I say this about Republicans and Democrats. I, you know, Diane Feinstein, we talked about this last week. There, there's reports not in the Republican conservative press, but, you know, her hometown, uh, home state San Francisco paper is they're reporting all these things about how they, 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 there's all this evidence to suggest that she's suffering from dementia. And yet she's got another few years left on her term. She's 88 years old. Chuck Grassley from Iowa, a Republican, he's running. He's 88 now. He's running for six years, a six-year term. At some point in time, don't don't we need to pass the torch down a generation or two? I mean, seriously, if you want to find a a a solution to a, a non-existent problem, that would be having Bernie Sanders run for re-election, run for election again to be the president of the United States. He would be 83 or 84 years old. Like I say, if we're at a point where we want to elect a socialist, let, let's at least find a younger socialist to elect. Is that too much to ask for? All right. Go woke, go broke. Walt Disney The Disney Company has for years and years and years and years and years done a very good job of maintaining its its cross its appeal across all generations and across across all political groups by by not getting involved in hot button political issues. Um, Walt Disney himself was an arch conservative, but you, you would not have known that necessarily in the way they, they ran Disney World or, or Disneyland or, or anything like that or, or the movies. They were they were businesses and they were run accordingly. And the company itself did not get involved in political causes. Now, the company may have gotten involved in, I don't know, lobbying for tax exemptions or things like that, but they didn't decide to get involved in, in the culture wars because they figured Republicans come to Disney World, Democrats come to Disney World, independents come to Disney World. There's no, there, there's no reason to involve ourselves in these issues. If our individual employees want to do it, that, that's fine, but we're not going to do it. That has changed recently, most notably in Florida. And we have talked about this before. They they call it the um, don't say gay bill, but that's not what what it is. Florida passed this law that said, in essence, that grades three, two, one, and kindergarten 
There, there was not to be like sex ed, ed teaching. And I, I would argue that nobody in their right mind thinks that sex ed should be taught to kindergartens or first grade or second grade or third graders. Nobody in their right mind thinks that. The law also says above third grade, fourth grade and on, you, you, you can, of course, teach all sorts of, of human health issues, including you know um, issues relating to gay people and uh, issues relating to transgender people and stuff. But the lessons have to be age appropriate. Okay, I don't know about you. I don't think that that's necessarily unreasonable. There's going to be a certain age where where maybe you want to have some of those discussions to the extent that you feel it's necessary to do it as part of a human sexuality class. But that's okay. But it has to be age appropriate. Now, this this has been pushed around as the oh it's it's the don't say gay bill because it helps people on the left raise raise money. And, and candidly, like I say, I, I don't care about people's sexual orientation. It makes no difference to me at all. But I, I don't think, I, I just, I don't think you should be teaching sex ed to second graders, regardless of what the nature of the curriculum is. So anyhow, th- this is it. It's the don't say gay bill. It's gotten all this attention. Well, Disney made the decision that they were going to just not get involved with this, which is kind of consistent with their other policies, that they're not going to take issues, positions on, like, issues of the day. Well, some of their employees, certainly not all, but some of their employees started to complain that Disney World in Florida. Well, we think, you know, we're a, we're a company. We're based in Florida. We, what we need to do is we need to express our outrage about this. And so the individual employees started protesting. And so then Disney as a company decided to come out and denounce this bill. They decided to get in line with the people that were pushing for the repeal of this don't say gay legislation. Okay. Well, what's happened now is there's been a backlash. Lots of People who might be going to the parks, I'm not saying they're boycotting Disney or whatever, but they're expressing their outrage that Disney decided to weigh in on this culture war issue. Of more import is the fact that the Florida legislature has now decided to weigh in on this. See, Disney, it's a weird situation in Florida. Disney is like its own country. Disney was set up so that even though the property around Disney World is in a couple Florida counties, it essentially operates as its own government. They've got their own fire department. They take care of their own um, roads, et cetera, et cetera. And there's huge financial advantages to being kind of like your own little country. They have this exemption. Well, now that Disney has decided to get involved in this political issue— the legislature in Florida, controlled by Republicans, has just voted— um, to pull Disney's special I- exemption, the whole thing that, again, creates like Disney World as this its own little world. Now, if they do that, it's going to probably end up costing Disney tens of millions of, of dollars because right now they have the right to, to self-rule. It's something that I think might be unprecedented in the country, but it's a unique deal that the Florida legislature gave Disney back when they were first creating Disney World. Now, because Disney has decided to get involved in this, this, this political culture wars thing, the legislature is starting to retaliate. And Disney's now sitting there thinking, well, if we lose this exemption, we're going to, again, it's going to cost us tens of millions of dollars. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Here, here's the lesson, and here is my question to you. Should corporations stay out of the culture wars? 
See, regardless of, of how you feel about the, the don't say gay legislation or whatever you want to call it, um, it's, it is a political issue. Disney chose to take a side in this. And as a result, you know, they, they're now getting blowback. and They're getting blowback from some powerful politicians who control some of the purse strings. If Disney would have just done what it always have done historically and just kind of, you know, worried about Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and staying open and figuring out how to convince people to— you know, spend $180 a day for a ride on the par- in the parks, they would have been fine. But they've decided to get involved on one side of this culture war hot-button issue, and now they're finding repercussions. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is what happens when companies decide that they want to get politically involved in a public fashion. They run the risk of having backlash. And so I guess I look at this and say, you know, Disney has nobody to blame for this but themselves. 855-616-1620. Do you want to see corporations staying out of the culture wars? We discuss in just a moment. Looking at a piece that's written by the former uh, McDonald's USA CEO. Here's what he writes. He says, when I was at McDonald's, when I was the McDonald's USA CEO, we achieved remarkable growth and substantially rewarded our shareholders by focusing solely on delivering a great product at a great price. Our philosophy was direct. We wanted everyone to be a customer for life. We neither had the time nor the inclination to discuss social issues that we knew would alienate roughly half of our customers and threaten this strong performance. Right. Um, He writes, the broader lesson for Disney, for corporate America, is stay out of the culture wars. Hundreds of American, major American companies have taken a stand on public policy issues in recent years. Um, These positions threaten to alienate customers and harm shareholder values. Companies can't just dip their toe into these issues. Once they've waded in, activists will expect them to take a stance on every forthcoming topic. The only solution is to stay out altogether unless the policy proposal directly affects their bottom lines. And for everybody on the left, and I'm getting some of the text about this, who thinks, oh, of of course, you know, we need McDonald's to weigh in on the the don't say gay stuff, and and we need Disney to weigh in on the don't say gay stuff, and of course they should do do that, and, and they shouldn't suffer consequences. Well, okay, how did you feel about the My Pillow guy who has, I, I think, significantly damaged the My Pillow brand by deciding that he was going to go go down the, the route of the, the, the sort of, we, we've got to overturn the election, and it was all stolen. Mike Lindell's his name. Think he hasn't hurt the My Pillow brand by doing that? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike um, on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. It's Mike on uh, Northwest Side. Yes, sir. Um, you, stole, you took all the wind out of my sails. Uh, Great minds think alike. Companies, they, they should uh, just uh, stay out of the culture wars because uh, you're alienating half the people. And if I was a head of a company, I want all the market, not just half of it. It's, it's uh, hurting the shareholders. And uh, their best thing to do is just stay out of the culture wars and uh, concentrate on your products and services and make them the best for everyone. That's well, the bottom line. Well, That's the only yeah. uh, real thing to do. 
Yeah, no, thanks, Nicole. That, that's why I, I agree with you, Mike. I guess that's why the, the decision and, and Disney, that's what Disney always did. But Disney got pressured by some employees into taking this corporate stance, and now they're getting a backlash on this. And, and this is what happens when you – now, again, it would be one thing if Disney as a company was uh, – there, there was they were arguing and they were trying to litigate over something that directly affected them, Florida state taxes or, or, or whatever it, it might be. But this isn't that. This was they decided to allow themselves to get drawn into this dispute on this on, on a culture war type of issue that is very very not only controversial but it's very very split I mean there's there's a lot of people who don't believe that you should be I don't know teaching human you know relations sort of issues in second grade and that they feel very strongly about that and we we can argue whether the majority agrees with one side or the other but by a corporation in this fashion deciding to get involved in this they have alienated a large part of their audience but more Moreover, you know they, they've now they've antagonized politicians who are sitting there saying, "Okay, well, if this is if Disney wants to play politics with this, and Disney wants to attack us, all right, maybe we need to look at you know why why do we uh, create this special sort of thing for Disney that nobody else in Florida gets to take advantage of?" Arnie in Sheboygan, Arnie, you're on WTMJ. Yes, um, one of the very first things you you hear from experienced businessmen. Is don't mix business, politics, and religion. And this is a classic example of what happens when you do. Mm-hmm. Everybody has an opinion, but, you know, isn't there supposed to be a greater level of professionalism and that you can conduct business without interfering with personal? They had to know this was going to happen. I kind of feel the same about the NFL. They've hurt themselves a lot by mm-hmm. dipping their toe in when probably, you know, nobody's going to hold anything against you if you say nothing. But as Mike earlier said, if you say something, you're going to disagree with 50% of the population and you want 100% of the market. Yes, exactly. Thanks for the call. I mean, and that's one of the... You know, that's one of the issues that, that you have here. Now, nobody is suggesting that if Disney executives, you know, individually, if they they want to be consistent with their company's policy, they want to speak out, I, that that's fine. If they want to donate money to candidates that, you know, support causes that they support, nobody would argue with that. But, you know, this is a bigger issue. This is the brand of that company. And they've decided to, to wade in on one side of a very, very polarizing issue. And as as a result of doing that, they find themselves in a situation where, okay, they have now antagonized the other side, and, and, and now they're, they're looking at certain repercussions. To me, this was something that was completely and totally avoidable. And also, again, you, you get pressured into getting in on some of these issues, and you don't know if you're necessarily on the right side of them or not. And, and that's... That's that that's that that's the question about this, and because okay, we've got some employees who feel really strongly about this. So instead of just simply saying we support the right of our employees to you know voice their opinion on this, you decide to throw your corporate weight behind it. Well, okay, when when you decide to enter the arena in that fashion, you know, you got to be prepared that there's going to be some blowback. I mean, they don't say go woke, go broke for no reason at all. Now, is Disney going to go broke? No. Is it possible? that you're going to have the Florida legislature pull back these very, very significant self-rule regulations that Disney has had, wouldn't be surprised with that at all. And if it happens, Disney is going to have nobody but themselves to blame. 
Now, even though we were talking about Disney getting involved in the culture wars, the other example I gave from from a perspective of how it hurts business from right is is Mike Lindell, the guy with my pillow, and and how because he completely got into bed with the, the Donald Trump, the election was stolen thing, how that had hurt that business. And one of our callers that we didn't get a chance to put on had said, no, no, his sales have actually increased. No, I mean I'm I'm looking at a for at a story from late last fall that says uh, that quotes Lindell as saying that because of his political activity, he lost, I'm quoting now, 20 retailers, it's cost me $65 million this year that I won't get back, okay? That's your story. Print it right. Don't try and twist this, he told, you know, that that's what he was saying. So, I mean, now I don't know if things have turned around since then, but you decide to jump into the, these culture wars or these hot-button political issues, and you got to understand that there are going to be consequences. Lots of stuff coming up, including Why are we tolerating this? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I have a link to this on my Twitter account. If you follow me on Twitter, again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Donald Trump. And Piers Morgan. I don't know if you know who Piers Morgan is. Piers Morgan, well, he he goes back. He, he's a, a British sort of gadfly commentator. I don't know that you'd really use the word journalist. He, he, he goes back with Rupert Murdoch into the, like the 1980s, and he was the editor of a couple of the, the, the broadsheets that Rupert Murdoch put out. Um, his connections with Trump – um, go to, I think it was 2007, Piers Morgan was the winner of the first Celebrity Apprentice contest. So uh, so they, they go back, and, and Piers Morgan, he, he's had, he came to the United States, and he's had various TV shows, a couple that, that didn't work out very well, but but he, he's back, and he's got a, a new show that's going to debut on Fox Nation Monday night, it's called uh, Piers Morgan Uncensored, whatever the heck that means. So for his first guest, apparently there was a sit-down interview. And, and Piers Morgan, like I say, he's, he's kind of a – he's sort of a jerk, and he's kind of a gadfly, and, uh, well, okay, and he's sort of all over the map on things. His first guest is Donald Trump. So he sits down with Donald Trump for apparently a 75-minute interview, and – well, I, I describe Piers Morgan as a jerk and a gadfly. You can, I mean, everybody's got their own impressions of Donald Trump, but, you know, so you, you, you can put in whatever words you want. But the two of them, apparently 75 minutes, and some of it's nice, and then some of it just apparently goes completely and totally off the rails. In, in an effort to promote the interview, they've released at least some snippets of it. And if you want to see it, uh, again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to, like, the trailer that they released. And, and I don't know that it's all going to be like this, but it's like Morgan is saying, do, do you really still believe that you, that you won the election? And Trump says, well— you know, if, if if you don't think I did, then you're a fool. And he said, anybody who thinks I didn't win I, is a fool. And then Morgan says, are you calling me a fool? And he said, well, I guess so. And it, it's that kind of stuff. And apparently Trump threatens to, you know, stop the interview for a couple times. I, I just bring this up because it's going to air Monday. And, and my comment on the Twitter feed was, I'm not proud to admit it, but Piers Morgan and Donald Trump being rude to each other for 75 minutes 
for some weird reason, strikes me as must-see TV. I, I just And you know it, it's going to be sort of a train wreck as the two of them kind of go after each other. And candidly, Piers Morgan and Donald Trump, let's put politics aside, these are two guys that, in my opinion, deserve each other. So, I mean, I think it's must-see TV. Of course, I confess— I also like Gold Rush, Deadliest Catch, Swamp People, Pawn Stars, Bar Rescue, and Full Throttle Saloon. So I, I, I like that. My my lovely wife will look at me when I'm watching, like, Swamp People or, or Deadliest Catch, and she'll say, why are you doing this? And it's because—I see, I figured out what I think the appeal of, of these shows are. The appeal is, regardless of whether you like your job or not, regardless of how good or a crummy, crummy a day that you've had at your job— you're not in the Bering Sea in the middle of January, like throwing crab nets over. You're not, you're not in August, um, you know, in the in the P rowboat trying to go through the swamps in, you know, whether it's the Everglades or Louisiana, looking to try to find some, you know, twenty foot twenty foot long alligator that you are then going to wrestle with after it's eaten a piece of like dirty chicken. It, it's so you look at that and you go, huh. All right, I didn't have a great day at work today, but you know what? I'm I'm not on that boat trying to fight that twenty foot alligator. Go shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. So I, I just I think that's the appeal. And I guess I look at this interview in the same sort of way. Um, you know, Piers Morgan, Donald Trump, just kind of watching them go after each other. It's my general sense is gonna be kind of okay, that that that's fine. Glad I don't have to do that for a living. But in any event, you can see the clip and decide for yourself. The show airs uh, Monday night on Fox Nation. All right. The other day, we we talked about this in general terms, and I, I admit I have gotten more frustrated as, as I've seen more stories come out. Today's TMJA4, and I give them credit because they're, they're who did the story first, and then other news outlets have, have picked it up. Um, they reported that over the weekend, you know, when, when the Bucks game was going on on Sunday, uh, there were four cars that were stolen and, and like 15 to 20 cars that were broken into in the immediate area around Pfizer Forum. And by the way, this is not, this is not a unique story. This has been happening um, over the course of the last year or so. But it, it gets more pronounced when you get more people coming down there. And it's going to get worse because you've got you know, the, the playoffs. And at some point in time, assuming the Bucks continue on in the playoffs— last night notwithstanding, and more people go down to Fiserv and the Deer District and things like that, you're going to have more targets of, of opportunity. And we were talking the other day about how it's just, I, I mean, you, my, my point was you've got to flood that area with cops. You just got to flood that area with cops because you can't have people going down there and becoming victims. Well, there's there's now a couple other stories that are out there. Fox Six runs a story. Um, I'm looking at it now. Downtown Milwaukee car thefts and break-ins have been described by a Milwaukee police captain as an epidemic, especially around Pfizer Forum. And MPD is increasing patrols to try to curb the the problem. And again, it, it kind of recites the numbers that today's TMJ4 had. Today's TMJ4 in the follow-up said the police are increasing their their patrols, and they're also encouraging people to, you know, if you if you drive down there, what you want to do is you want to hide your valuables in the trunk of the car. If you have a Kia or a Hyundai, you want to put a steering wheel lock on. Um, so they're they're trying to encourage people to discourage this. And then on on Channel 12, they have this story about how 
how young people are. In recent weeks, there's several car thefts in Milwaukee with children behind the wheel. Police accused a 12-year-old of stealing a vehicle on Monday. Surveillance shows a crash. And then they're, they're just showing the, these videos about how you have you know kids as young as 10 and 12 who are going down there and that they are stealing cars. So you've got people who are being preyed on when they want to go to the Bucks game and they, they park downtown. They find their cars vandalized. They find their cars stolen. You've got, you know, 10 and 12-year-olds that are out there stealing cars, and now we're at a point where in effort to try to minimize it, we're telling people, well, you better hide your valuables. You better put, you know, a steering wheel lock on your car because otherwise it may very well be gone. And by the way, I don't criticize that advice. I mean, it seems to me it makes sense. But the bigger point is, how how long are we going to take this? And, and I'm, I'm serious. We are collectively, and it's not just people who live in the city of Milwaukee. If you live in some of the high crime areas, it's one thing. But it's anybody who wants to travel into the city of Milwaukee and and put your car in a surface lot or leave your car on the street. You are held hostage to what I continue to believe is a relative handful of car thieves ranging apparently from the ages of 10 to 12 on up who decide to steal cars for for the fun of it, to drive them, to joyride with them, then to trash them and to, to abandon them, then steal another. One of the stories I was looking at, say, they, they've got examples of, of kids who steal three or four cars in a day. You know, they steal one car, they drive it for an hour, they smash it up, they get out, they steal another car, and then do the same thing. We are being held hostage to the criminals. And I understand, and I, I by the way, I agree with the idea of, like, flooding for example, the, the Deer District, the area around Fiserv Forum, I agree with the idea of flooding it with cops. You've got to deter it. Maybe you can catch people because you, you can't have people afraid to go to major attractions because their cars aren't going to be there. But that's, that's just treating a symptom. The underlying problem is we have a small criminal element. I, I do think numerically it's small. I think 95%, 98% of the people are, are good people who wouldn't dream of stealing cars. But you do have that hardcore percentage of people who just don't care, have no respect for other people's property, have no respect for other people's things, and they're out there stealing car after car after car, vandalizing car after car after car, and essentially holding the rest of us hostage. Isn't it time finally to say enough is enough? And don't we need to say that, look, we're going to make this a priority. And yes, we're going to do everything we can to deter it, but we're going to do everything we can to catch the people that are stealing cars, whether they're 10 or whether they're 75. And when we catch them, we're not just going to say slap on the wrist. We're going to hold them accountable. 855-616-1620. And if that means boot camps, if that means juvenile facilities, if that means the county jail, if that means state prison, I'm, I'm all in favor of it. Because this is a big deal, and we're being held hostage by the criminal element, and it's got to stop. What do you say? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. You know, whenever I talk about this, I always get a couple texts from people saying, "Well, you, you shouldn't talk about this. Don't, don't, don't you realize that you're running down the city of Milwaukee by by talking about all these problems?" Well, no. Look. 
the only way you get people to wake up and start dealing with the problems is by talking about them. And you've got all these wonderful attractions. I mean, I, I love the Deer District. It's a lot of fun. You've got people coming down there. I love a lot of the stuff that goes on in Milwaukee. But if it's a situation where people go down there and you, you come out after the basketball game and 20 cars are vandalized and four or five cars are stolen and it's only going to end up getting worse and it's people who are just taking them for joy rides, that, that's – Pretending that there's not a problem isn't isn't helping. And I really do believe it's a very small percentage of people that are doing this, but they're holding the rest of us hostage, people making decisions. Oh, I'm not going to go to this game. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do this because I don't want my car stolen. Well, okay, maybe it's time to take back the streets, isn't it? Jeff, I can't tell you how sad this situation makes me. 25 years ago, my husband and I went to tons of Milwaukee Bucks games with our kids. We had so many fun memories. We went out. We'd park several blocks away. We would walk, never felt threatened, never were Worried about our car, never thought twice about where we parked. It's been many years since we've been to a Bucks game, not because we don't support the Bucks, but because of the stuff that goes on downtown. It's an absolute shame. It is an absolute shame. Let's talk to uh, John. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I think you're going to spot on. I don't think folks are realizing the epidemic this has become. We live in Brookfield, and my daughter's first day with her license going down to a very nice part of the east side. Uh, we had our Hyundai stolen, and um, we learned through the process. I mean, this has happened happening daily and nightly. Um, you probably just asked five people who live in and around the city, and I'm sure at least one of them has had the same experience, especially if they're driving certain types of cars. And yeah, these kids out there, they're just doing it for fun. Uh, you know, and it, to give an idea of how common it is, they're actually – Facebook's uh, sites dedicated to these stolen cars. We actually found our stolen car on a Facebook site prior to the police finding us because it's just the cars are just getting taken. They get run into the ground. Uh, When they run out of gas, the the kids just ditch the cars. So I don't think folks realize this is just happening all over the place, and it's not here or there. It's just become a joke for these kids are doing it, and there's no consequences for them. Right, and, and I got, I see, I got to believe, John, that, that even with the enormous number of cars that are being stolen, 10,500 or so in the city last year, we're on a pace for that same number this year, I, I, I think it's a relatively small number of people, at least I believe that, who are, it, it's it's not 10,500 people stealing cars, it's probably, no. maybe it's a thousand that are out there stealing four or five cars a day. Like you say, you got, you got the group of kids, and here we're going to steal this car, drive it, smash it up after an hour, then steal another one. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, Jeff. The analogy I would use, and I'm dating myself, but, you know, back in the day, you'd, a thing to do would be to just cruise Highway 100 and make noise, and you knew there wouldn't be some co- consequences, and I'm sure that annoyed a lot of people, but this is what the kids are doing right now. It's their version of cruising Highway 100, and they know there's no consequences. Um. Yeah. No. Thank. Thanks for the call. I absolutely no consequences at all. Let's talk to Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, your, your first uh, answer, or phone call, kind of answered me. Uh, I was down the Bradley Center. We used to go down years ago in the Bradley Center and watch the Bucks on that park two, three blocks away. No problems at all. I never even seen the inside of the Flyers Reform. The only thing I've seen on Flyers Reform was on TV. And I will not venture into Milwaukee County anymore in my life. I am just fed up hearing about this stuff. I don't drive a Honda or a Kia. 
but yeah. they'll just fed up at car, your car getting damaged. Well, yeah, that, I, I that's won't it. Come down anymore. Yeah, I mean that's it, it's not just right. I mean that the Hyundai's and Kias are the are kind of the the target of opportunity because apparently the the later yeah. models are easier to steal. But yeah, I mean I I don't know about you. I I don't want the rear window of my car. I don't drive one of those, but I don't want I don't want my windows caved in and somebody looking through the car to see if I've got money in the glove box or whatever. I just I I don't want to deal with that vandalism and you feel like you're being held hostage to that 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 criminal element that's out there and it's just and and nobody seems to be taking this seriously no no that's it well, I, I know we got to have more police down there but we're limited on the police department too they're looking for police police persons you know yeah i got to see what the mayor is going to do yeah no thank, thanks for call well well and, and again it's not it's not just the police, and, and I, by the way, I am all in favor. I, I advocated for this. Let's when when you have these big events, you've got to f- flood the district with with cops to deter people from from walking door to door and with a crowbar and smashing people's windows out and trying to to steal the cars and things like that. So I'm all in favor of that. But that's that's putting a band aid on what is the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is you need to catch the people that are doing this. And then you need to hold them accountable. And, and that's what we're not willing to do. And if it's 12-year-olds that are stealing cars, like four cars in a day, you, you hold them accountable. Now, you don't send them to a pond, but maybe, maybe it's a boot camp. Maybe it's some juvenile detention facility. It's got to be something so they at least get the message that there's going to be some consequences. And yes, if it's a 17-year-old, last time I looked, most cars are—, are are worth more than $2,500, yeah, what, why isn't that, you know, a felony? Why isn't it treated like a felony, like a grand theft sort of felony? And, and yes, maybe it's time in the county jail, and yes, maybe it's time in state prison if you have somebody who's committing multiple type of offenses. But the bottom line is we cannot allow ourselves, the decent, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens who want to go down and patronize businesses and enjoy everything the community has to offer, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be held hostage by the criminal element. And yet that is precisely, I think, what is happening now. You know, if you if you spend too much time on the internet, it will number one make you crazy, and number two just make you dumber. That, that's it. the internet is very is, is wonderful, and you can find out all sorts of stuff. But every once in a while, you go through these rabbit holes, and you just think, huh? There's people out there that really think like this. Now, one of the things, but when Donald Trump was the president, I understand that that Donald Trump is a very, very polarizing force. And one of the frustrations I had during those four years is that there was, there was no possibility of nuance, and that is. You know, the people that hated Donald Trump just hated him. And it didn't matter if he was doing something that if if Barack Obama had done it, well, they, they would still hate him because even though they agreed, they would have agreed with the policy, it was Trump that did it, so it had to be bad. And the flip side was was true, too. I mean, there were people that would say, you know, if it were Barack Obama or Bill Clinton that implemented a particular policy, they would have despised it. But because it was Donald Trump, they, they loved it. And it was just frustrating to me to have a radio show and to try to— express some sort of nuance and say, can we look at the policy and try to forget the the person? But the example I always gave with Trump was I I firmly believe that there were some people that if Donald Trump, if you ran into Donald Trump and he gave you a $100 bill, people would complain that, oh, it's a $100 bill. How am I going to cash this? You know, you should should give me 520s. There there were people like that. And this is a story in that, that same vein. 
the Brewers, which I think are a great community organization, they, 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 they just are. And I, I, this is not just my perspective because we're the flagship of the Brewers and I know some of the people involved in ownership. But I, I think having Major League Baseball here, I think the Brewers are a huge asset to the city, the county, the region, the, the state. And I, I firmly believe that. And are there things to criticize? Absolutely. Um, if you go to American Family Field and you look at some of the prices they charge and stuff, what, what did we decide? 24 bucks if you want to have a, a drink that's a double. 24 bucks. Okay. Now, nobody's holding a gun to your head saying you have to buy it. But I, I would I would argue that, you know, 24 bucks for a, for a double is just – it's ridiculous. Now, nobody's forcing you to buy that, though, so you just have to – and if you choose to do it, that's, that's fine. But So you can argue about prices and things like that, but, but that's, that's just you know, the, the way of the world. Things cost more. That's just one example. So anyhow, the brewers announce that what they are going to do is they're going to pick various Fridays, and, and they, they call this promotion the This One's On Me – and what they're going to do is for various Friday away games, got to be an away game, they are going to pick an undisclosed bar slash restaurant in the five-county area. And if you happen to be there that night, they're going to they're buy you a drink. They're going to pick up the tab for, for a drink. Um, now, the trick is they'll tell you the days they're doing it, like the next one is, is May 6th, but but they're not going to tell you where it is. And the different players are going to be the ones that will, will pick where the place is. So you're not it's, – it's more going to be happenstance. You know, you're, you're going to you, – you have to be at the place anyways, and then it turns out to be yours. So it's, it, it's not like you can plan ahead. It's, it's not like you can drive around and figure this out. It's just but, – but it's a nice – it's a nice thing. Now, does it – does it make up for charging $24 for a double? Well, probably not. But again, it, it's this nice thing. So they announced this, and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool that they're doing it. They did it for what um, the night before opening day. They did it for the, this watch party they had at Left's Lucky Town in Wauwatosa. I thought it was kind of cool. If you were there at this thing, you know, they, they, they picked up the tab. They, you know, they, you got a drink or something on the Brewers. It's a nice little fun promotion that I think is designed to get some buzz around it and things like that. So they announced this. The, the Internet breaks bad. It, it's all these people that are out there saying, well, you know, this doesn't make up for the fact that they charge $14 for a beer, for a craft beer, or you mean they're not going to tell you where this is? And all these people are complaining, and you just want to say, look, it, it's a nice little buzzworthy promotion, and if you happen to be in the place that night, then you're lucky and you, you get a drink on the brewers. But come on, you're going to complain about this? I mean, get a life. All right. Speaking of getting a life, last Thursday, there's a story. A group of Shorewood High School students down in the People's Republic of Shorewood walked out of school. Now, remember Thursday was one of – that was opening day. Remember Thursday was that really windy day when we had the gusts up to 60 miles an hour and stuff. They walked out of school. Um, The walkout organized by Shorewood High School's – get this – Young Democratic Socialists of America, YDSA chapter. Young Democratic Socialists of America uh, included speeches on the front lawn of Shorewood High School. Okay, and then they walked to UWM where more speeches took place. The people were protesting what they describe as, uh, again, college tuition— they think college costs too much, 
and the student debt crisis. Now, these are kids from Shorewood arguing that they should just cancel student debt, that this $1.6 trillion in debt that people have acquired, well, we, we should just, Joe Biden should wave his magic wand and just make it disappear. Because if you didn't have to pay back your student loans, you'd have more money to spend on on other things. You'd be more likely to be able to buy a house or buy a car or whatever. So th- these kids in high school are getting a jump on that. They're saying, well, you know, we, we, should, we shouldn't have to pay for, for things. So let, let's get this done in advance. So if we want to go to a, a private school that's going to cost $25,000 a year, it, it should essentially be free. The taxpayers should pick this up. We shouldn't have to— uh, accumulate debt. Now, if you roll your eyes at that, it's not just these Shorewood High School kids from the Young Democratic Socialists of America chapter, but it's also people in politics. I have in my hands a piece that appeared in the LA Times. Elizabeth Warren, remember her? She's looking at the same poll numbers that everybody else is, and she's recognizing that Democrats are in a lot of trouble in the November election. She's looking at the Biden poll numbers and saying, you know, he's in the 30s, probably, with approval rating. That's bad. So Elizabeth Warren, she, she knows how the Democrats can turn this around. And it is essentially by appealing to the young Democratic Socialists of America and folks like that. Her argument is, here's what we need to do. Joe Biden needs to announce, like yesterday, that he is going to forgive all this student debt that people have accumulated. Um, Right now, he said you've got all these different borrowers, millions of people who owe $1.6 trillion in student debts. About 45 million Americans collectively owe that money. Some are foregoing having children or getting married. Um, she says, look, it, it's, we've got we've to get rid of this. You know, um, it's, it's not fair to make people pay back their debts. And her argument is, if we want to win in November, this is what we need to do right now. We want to be the political party that's come out and canceled most, if not all, of the student debt that, that's out there. Biden is apparently looking at 50,000, at 10,000. Some people say, it should go up to 50000 And some people say we should just wipe out all the student debt. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's, an ac- that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There is a perception, I guess, among some that by doing this, you would somehow turn around poll numbers and America would be applauding if all of a sudden we waved a magic wand. Now, I don't think you can do it legally, but that's just me. We waved a magic wand and said, all you folks who took out loans in good faith— you no longer have to pay them back. Hooray, hooray, and people will rush and vote for Democrats. Our number, 855-616-1620. I don't think that's the case at all. Matter of fact, I think the vast majority of us who took out student loans, who were responsible with our student loans, who paid them back, would wonder, hey, what kind of chump am I? Why, Why did I pay back my student loan if we were just going to have the taxpayers suddenly pick up the tab. And all of the people who decided, okay, I'm going to go to a college I can afford, or I'm going to save money to send my kids to college so they don't have to take out student loans, or I'm going to work during school to 
I don't know, pay back my student loans, I think all those people might kind of resent looking around and having the people who didn't go that route suddenly be able to walk away scot-free. Elizabeth Warren thinks this is a huge electoral winner. I don't think so. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Jeff, student loans are a privilege that is to extend people the opportunity to better themselves. You don't need them to get jobs. Will they be wiping out the business loan I took out when I was 22 to better myself? I won't get them. This won't get any more votes than they already had. The people that want this are already voting. I think that I don't think this is the political winner that, that some people think. Now, obviously, the idea is if we give people more money and give people more money, and somebody said, well, this is something good. Well, I, I don't know. Is it? You know, you've you take out a bunch of loans so that you can go to law school or be a doctor, and then we expect, I don't know, that retiree living on a fixed income or the guy who didn't go to school who's now you know working in the trades or whatever, we expect him and his family to pay for, for your, your college degree or your law school degree or your medical school degree? Huh. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure that that's as politically popular as some people might think. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think this is immoral. Um, My wife and I sacrificed when we were young parents, foregoing spending on ourselves to fund college accounts for our kids. We better get a check in the mail if the government starts forgiving student debt. Yeah, I I think that that's a really fair question here, the idea of... And I remember I talked to a guy when we discussed this a while back, and his his frustration was he and one of his coworkers, and this is kind of anecdotal, but I imagine people can relate. They both had young kids, and his decision was, I want to provide for my kids' education. And so his story was, you know, we, it was a middle-class environment. We, we saved. We, we didn't go on vacations. We maybe didn't drive as nice a car as we would have otherwise driven because we were fully funding our kids' uh, college education accounts. We saved so that our kids, you know, wouldn't have to take out these massive loans. The guy was talking about one of his coworkers who didn't do any of that, went on the vacations, bought the cars, spent everything, took out the student loans. All right, that, that's fine. That's there. So how do you say to that person who was responsible? You saved. You did all this stuff. Now, you know, boom, we're going to treat you the same way, essentially, as the guy who just enjoyed the, the money, didn't save a dime, took out the loans, but now gets to walk away from them. I mean, what other word would you use to describe the people who saved and did the responsible thing other than chump or maybe sucker? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Ed in Milwaukee. Ed, you're on WTMJ. I'm going to go at a different perspective, and it's not whether loans should be forgiven or not, but at what point should colleges be held accountable? They're the ones handing out the free money and essentially doing all the financial aid. If there's no accountability to make sure that you have enough classes so that a student can, in a regular progression, get the class they need each spring, each fall. So there is some pushing to make it challenging to get a four-year degree. I've got five daughters all through college, all degreed. Um, the other end is rate my teacher. You look and there are teachers that have been there for years that are rated one, one and a half, two by students, and they're allowed to continue on, which again slows the progression because maybe students need to take a secondary class to pass the next class. So 
an interesting idea would be if a college isn't doing everything possible to get a student to graduate in four years, the money for years five and six is on the college's side, and it's not the student's side. If, if it isn't the college's fault and it's a student that, you know, they took 12 credits a year and they hung out, that's one thing. But when the students are taking 15 to 18 credits and they can't get the credits they need and they're forced to take a class because something's not available to them, that should be on the college's side, and there should be a penalty to them. Ed, well, you know, you're, in some respects, you're preaching the choir. I don't know about the getting through in four years, but I'll, I'll give you a better example of what you're talking about. And thanks for the call. Um, right now, colleges, and, and this is this is sort of, I mean, colleges, particularly like colleges, particularly the private schools, that really have no accountability. Okay, let's we, we can raise our tuition, and we can charge more and more, and the kids can have access to the loans, so they get it. And nobody thinks about coming out on, on the flip side. For example, when, when I went to law school, there was not a glut of lawyers. So most of the people in my graduating class were able to get jobs practicing law. Now it's a completely different environment. So you have a lot of these students who are coming out with law degrees, but you know, hundred plus thousand dollars in debt, and they're coming into a job market where maybe if they're one of the top students in the class, you're always gonna do fine. But for a lot of them, they're scrambling to try to find jobs. See, I think, and I, I agree with you, I think some of that's on the colleges. I think colleges, should be required to disclose what the job market looks like. Oh, okay, you want to be an English major, That, and I'm not knocking English majors. That's not it. But, okay, this is – what are you going to do when you get out? And this is what the markets look like, and this is how many of our English majors that graduated last year and two years ago and three years ago are still unemployed. At least make it clear to them what they are walking into. Now, will, will that discourage some people? No. Now, look, I, I've said this before as well. I think – you know, I, I'm not completely and totally unsympathetic to people who've racked up huge amounts of debt. I, I don't think you can wave a magic wand and forgive it. I certainly don't think the president of the United States has the authority to just declare, hey, $1.6 trillion in student debt leaves the, leaves the books. I, I do think if you wanted to have a responsible discussion about this, you start with, you start with the interest rates because that's something that you could do, which is, you know, have the federal government come in and arrange to refinance these loans to get them closer to a market level interest rate. So you give some of the people more chances or an ability to pay back the loans faster. But Elizabeth Warren seems to think that this is a winner issue, that if we just give everybody money and we take, like, for example, all these young democratic socialists of America that are marching down at Shorewood High School, if we just Tell them you can go anywhere you want, and you know the taxpayers are going to pick up the tab. And for all the people who have those legitimate debts, student loan debts, that we're just going to forgive them, and they think that people are going to go to the polls and be so happy and thrilled. Be careful what you wish for, because my guess is there's going to be a huge backlash to that, because for everybody that's thrilled that they got that, that free stuff from the taxpayers, there's going to be the rest of the taxpayers who had to pick up the tab. Back with more in just a minute. Well, we have quite the 2 o'clock hour coming up. We're going to be talking about what's going on with Netflix, what's going on with the stock market, what do you do in Ukraine, and then there were two. Two what? Well, stick around after the news. I'll tell you. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Jane, you are, we are the same generation. Yes. So you, you might appreciate this. Do you remember 
Well, like growing up around here, there used to always be the morning newspaper was the morning sentinel. And then there was the afternoon newspaper, the the journal. Right. And then sometime in the 90s, there was the merger, and they, they started printing the, the paper in the morning. But, I mean, I can remember growing up that you would you, – you'd, you'd come home after school, and there'd be a I, – I, I delivered papers. I delivered the afternoon papers. You know, you'd come home after work, after school, and you, you'd go over. They'd drop all the papers in your driveway, and you'd walk around. You'd do your paper out. So when people sat down to have dinner or whatever, they had the evening paper. You remember right. that? Yes, I do. Would you like to guess, maybe I tipped it off, and would you like to guess how many evening papers are left in this country? I don't think there are any. Two. There are two. Two. It's, it's kind of like Kmart's. We were talking about that. There's now, there used to be 2,000. There's now three Kmart's in the entire country. Here, here is the, the deal. There are, well, the story, as of 40 years ago, the number of afternoon papers outnumbered the morning papers by about four to one. It was almost always afternoon, and the, and that kind of changed. By 2000, um, it was about e, – it was there were more morning papers, but there were still 600. Now there are two, the Livingston, Montana Enterprise and its sister paper, the Miles City Star, are the last U.S. dailies printed after lunch and delivered before dinner. Wow. Livingston, Montana. It's um, That's where Tom Brokaw um, lives part-time, and it's the setting for uh, Yellowstone, the, the Kevin Costner thing. But it's the only city in the country where the circulation of one is 2,500 and the other is 1,800. And that's it. No more afternoon papers. That's incredible and sad. Yeah, it, it, just, it is sad. But when you're competing against the Internet, how can you stay current? By the time the paper comes out in the afternoon, it's all over the Internet already. Well, by the time the paper comes out in the morning. I True. mean, that, that's right. the tr- I mean, you right. as, as a sports fan and stuff, you th- their cutoff is so early that in the at least the hard copy of the paper, if it's if it's a Brewers night game, you don't you don't have the, the results. Right. You know, or, or any of those things. It's just. I just I seriously wonder. There's always going to be the demand for for information, but the, the hard copies of the paper. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't think I know anybody under the age of. I used to say thirty. I would say forty who actually reads a hard copy of a newspaper. I we did. So, I mean, I do. We do subscribe to the Journal Sentinel. Well, yeah. But, but now it's just the online version. Yeah. Because unfortunately, it just got so small that there really was nothing that I couldn't get online that was coming in the paper. Right. What I do think, though, is really tragic is local journalism is crucially important to communities. It really, really is. And if you don't have people keeping an eye on people in power, it's not a good recipe. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, that's why I think what you're seeing is the, the rise of so many of the other, like the, the websites. And, and there's there's countless, not countless, but there, there's several ones I know that I look at on a regular basis who have different, like maybe political agendas or whatever, but who are actually sending people, somebody to sit in the city hall meeting. I mean, I remember when I started in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the 80s, I mean, we had the Journal and Sentinel. They had, they had, a, they had each one had a federal courthouse reporter, and that was their beat. Right. And so you'd have, and they would compete against each other, and they would actually sit in They'd look at the calendar on a given day, and they'd actually, like, sit in and, and cover not just the, the big mega trial, but they'd cover other stuff. And, and they'd go to school board meetings, and they do that. Nowadays, that just doesn't happen. It doesn't. And again, I think it, it, it is doing a disservice. It's, it's unfortunate. We, we're not willing to pay for it, but not having that allows things to, to go unnoticed. Yeah. It, and, of course, it's partly the economics of it, too. I mean, we dropped— 
the the physical paper subscription a number of years ago because it came up for renewal and and they were quoting me some it was it was like they wanted four hundred bucks or whatever something it was something crazy and it's like. Well, no, I don't think so. And and then so we switched again to the digital thing, which is a fraction of that. I guess my real question is how, with what they charge, papers in general, with what they charge for the digital subscriptions, can you can you generate enough revenue to? Yes, if you're not printing the papers, you don't have those costs, but you still got to pay, gotta pay the reporters. And, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's the challenge. But two daily newspapers, and that's it. And afternoon papers in the country. Go figure. It is it is the change. There's no question. But but at the same time, you know, people for the years and years said radio was gonna die. And I, I think I think you can make an argument that right now we are continuing to be in a golden age of radio. I, I mean I've I've heard this, well, the internet's gonna first of all it was gonna be TV's gonna drive out radio. No, that hasn't happened. And then it's gonna be, oh, you know, the internet's gonna drive out radio and, and no, that hasn't happened either. And I don't think it's gonna happen. At least not with spoken word radio. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. When we come back, let's talk about what we do next in Ukraine. Stick around. One of the, one of the many reasons why I love making a living doing the show is that the, the breadth of the WTMJ audience. Okay, so we Jane and I were just talking about there's only two afternoon papers left in the country, um, and they're both in in Livingston, Montana. Okay. I got a text. Jeff, I currently live in Milwaukee. I used to live in Livingston, Montana, and I used to subscribe to the Livingston Enterprise when we had a home there. It was a very nice little local paper, high school news, small town fun. Absolutely. And it is a museum piece. It is one of only two afternoon papers that are left, and the other one is presumably for for the same community. Go figure. Okay. The... um, we haven't talked. I want to pivot a little bit, and this is kind of a, a heavy topic, but I, I think it, it's 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 an issue that's worth discussing because we're sort of at an inflection point when it comes to Ukraine. Vladimir Putin thought that the Russian army was invincible; they were going to be able to march through Ukraine, take it over in a couple days. Well, now we're pushing like sixty days of, of this this war that has no end in sight. The effort to take the capital city of Kiev ha- has failed. Um, that has been beaten back, and the Russians have retreated, I guess, and are now concentrating on trying to take um, other parts of the country closer to the, the Russian border. And um, it, it's—so it's, the, the whole fight has changed. Russia isn't backing away, but they're, I think, kind of reining in or at least changing their goals. But at the same time, they're still bombing the heck out of Ukraine cities and things like that. The Ukraine government— is saying, okay, for this next phase of the war, what we need is we don't need just defensive weapons. We need to prepare ourselves if we're going to to fight, not necessarily in the streets of Kiev, but if, if we're going to fight in open plains and areas like that in some of the other parts of this country, we need more advanced weaponry. We need more – we need heavy or heavier weaponry. You know, we, we need those shoulder-held stingers and javelin missiles. You know, we need all sorts of other stuff. We want longer-range weapons. We want anti-aircraft systems. We want anti-ship missiles. We want armed drones. We want armored trucks. We want armored personnel carriers. We want tanks. We want to, you know, we want to be able to prepare ourselves and take the fight to the Russians as long as they're still occupying this. The Russians, who are, I think, embarrassed 
by the fact that they their army has been exposed as I don't want to say it's a paper tiger, but it's certainly not what people thought. And the fact that they haven't been able to just roll over Ukraine, the Russians are saying, okay, you know, you don't. They're saying to the to NATO. They're saying to the United States, don't provide Ukraine with these heavier weapons. To do that, well, you risk escalating the 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 conflict. In other words. Let us just roll over Ukraine and do what we want. But if you do provide these heavier weapons, you know that the consequences might be unpredictable. And you're already seeing, you know, Russia launching attacks close to, for example, the Polish border. So far, they they haven't, you know, dropped missiles or sent missiles into into Poland, which would, you know, talk about a just a, a whole different sort of you know world problem. But they are bombing places or sending missiles into sites that are. 10 miles from the border. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what do we do? Given the fact that Russia has failed in its initial attempts to try to take over the country, but given the fact that it is now rescaling itself with an idea that, okay, maybe we can't take over the whole country, but maybe we can take over a third of the country or a quarter of the country. And so we're, we're going at different geographic areas. Should we let it go? Or do we have a commitment now to continue to not fight ourselves, but arm the Ukrainians so that they can resist? 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I look at this and I kind of say in for a penny, in for a pound. The Obviously, the, the way this should work out in a perfect world is that Russia pulls back, that the loss of life stops, that we try to go back to where we were, you know, two months ago. Now, I, I don't know that that's possible. We were talking earlier about the genie being out of the bottle. I don't know that that's possible. And, you know, you also say, okay, you've got you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of damage that's been done to the Ukraine economy. What does Ukraine look like after this? Will there be anything left? And does Russia need to be held accountable? But I guess at this point in time, given the fact that they are the aggressors and they don't appear ready to stop, yeah, I, I think I think it is perfectly legitimate to I don't know, supply them with the means to repel the Russian invaders, just like in World War II, when Germany was invading Russia, we provided Russia with arms and all sorts of other assistance in order to help them fight the Germans. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Having said this, though, I understand you run a risk of escalating the situation. And that's what Putin is threatening. Hey, you escalate it. Whatever I do next is going to be on you. Should we allow him to bully us? Should the West allow him to bully us? Gianni and Montello, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, good afternoon. Good topic. Uh, hey, listen, no, you can't You can't uh, leave a bully unchecked. Now, the Russians started this, primarily Putin, and um, they're going to finish it. Um, but they're going to finish it uh, against armaments coming from the West. But the question I have, though, is is really this is this is protection for Europe, because we, we don't want uh, Russia to expand into Eastern Europe. Um, so what percentage of the cost is um, is NATO picking up? What, what, what is the European uh, Union incurring as far as expenses? Because that it should be the majority of it. Yeah, th- thanks for calling, Johnny. I, I don't know off the top of my head. This is one where 
Um, I mean, this is one where amazingly, and I think this is what some of the things that have surprised Putin, uh, amazingly, the the West has been united in, in this regard. I mean, I think, you know, I, I just saw yesterday that Germany voted to, you know, cut off imports of, of oil from, from Russia, at least certain types of imports of oil um, in, in the immediate future. So, and, and there's no question, Poland is taking all sorts of refugees. I mean, several million refugees, which is a huge thing. And, and I know that there's, I, I know that there's all sorts of resources that have been put in. Where the U.S.'s percentage is, I, I don't know off the top of my head. But at the same time, I, I think this is a, a, a the, certainly the West is is united in trying to resist this. But I do agree with your, your, your basic point, though. I don't think you can just bail on the Ukraine until Russia decides that they are, they're going to, to stop this this aggression until there's some sort of settlement that's reached. But you don't get the idea that Putin is is apparently, you know, willing to do this. And one of the interesting things here is that unlike in Afghanistan and unlike in South Vietnam at the end of the Vietnamese War, in this case, we're, we're arming we're arming the people who are fighting, and they're using the arms. This isn't one of these things like at the end in Afghanistan where you had people who got these American weapons and just kind of dropped them and fled, and the, you know, the Taliban ended up picking them up, or the same thing true with the North Vietnamese. This is one where the, the stuff we're giving to the Ukraine, they're actually using to fight. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think? This is such a difficult situation, and I, I really hoped it would be over, you know, by now and even a month ago. Um, but I think at this point we have to give them what we need, what they need, and we have to be all in. Um, you know, you made the comment about, you know, who knows what Ukraine will look like afterward. I mean, there might be a point where there's not much left to take care of. You know, the people, many of the people have left already, and many more are going to leave. Um, I'm not sure, but um, what your previous caller said is right. We cannot let this go unchecked, uh, us or the rest of Europe, or even the rest of the world, for that matter. Yeah, no. I, I, thanks for calling, Mike. I'm, 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 I'm with you, and I, and I understand that you, you see the problem here, and, and what complicates this is you have a madman, and that's what I think it's fair to describe Vladimir Putin as, who, who's also got a nuclear capability. You know, and that's that. So you you have to always recognize that that's a possibility. But at the same time, to your point about the unchecked aggression, I, I don't think you I don't think you can not continue to help Ukraine. And and candidly, you know, Ukraine Ukraine is fighting the good fight for us. And I I, I don't I just I guess if I however else I ever felt about it, and I've always kind of believed that you have to support this and you have to stand up to these wars of aggression. After you saw those, those pictures of what the Russian troops did when they were pulling out of the, the suburbs of Kiev, and you saw the mass graves and you saw people who were just executed with their hands tied behind them, I mean, th- this is evil. It is evil personified, and I, I don't think you can let that evil win. Now, obviously, in a perfect world, like I say, you, you go back to where you were 60 days ago. In a perfect world, you, you, you don't have this type of aggression. And I think it's clear that Vladimir Putin badly miscalculated. I think it's clear that moving forward for the next 10, 15, 20 years, he, he, he's really turned Russia into an international pariah. I don't see how you can put that genie back in the bottle either. And given 
you know, as long as, as Putin stays in power or people close to him stay in power, I just don't see how ever he can ever be accepted back into the overall world community. Now, maybe the Chinas and the North Koreas and the Saudi Arabias of the world, the Syrias of the world, that is, you know, maybe they'll continue to embrace Russia. But most of the world, particularly the free world, I just don't see it happening. Let's talk to John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Uh, Jeff? Yes, sir. Good afternoon. Yeah, I'm a longtime listener. This whole thing disgusts me because when Reagan was president, he proposed a Star Wars defense system, and it's been, what, 40 years, and we haven't been able to develop something like that in all that time. So uh, we shouldn't be subject to anybody's um, threats of mutually assured destruction or any kind of nuclear things, and we should be able to shoot down anything coming in, and if somebody threatens us, we just say, come on, and if you do something, we will make your... Uh, country a uh, parking lot. Well, I mean, th- thanks. I guess I see. I don't. I, hopefully, it never comes to that. I mean, see, that's you know, John. You we we you don't want that. You know, you you want. You want people to be able to coexist, and and yeah, I'm a big believer in national defense and things like that. At at the same time, you can't allow, I don't know, for example, of Vladimir Putin to say, all right, I, I don't care, I don't think this is a country. I'm just going to take over Ukraine, and I, I'm just I'm going to move in and do it. You know, there's um. Somebody texted me and said, well, you, you know Ukraine's not part of NATO. Yeah, I mean, I know Ukraine's not part of NATO, but that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that it's not an independent country, and that doesn't mean that the world in general and the West in particular doesn't have an interest in stopping this sort of, of aggression and saying, okay, you know, is, is this where you want to fight World War III? Well, I'm not arguing that, but at the same time, if Ukraine— wants to fight and wants to resist the Russian advance, I don't have any problem at all with the free world saying, you know what, you're on the side of the angels here, and we're going to stand up and we're going to help you resist this. Somebody sending me a forecast for next week. It's supposed to be in the 40s and cold rain much of next week. Yeah, I don't think it's time to put away the. Uh, I don't think it's time to put away the the heavy jackets yet. Probably won't be time to put away the heavy jackets in early May as well. But that's okay. That's one of the great things we get about living in Wisconsin. You get. I don't know if you get four seasons, but you get at least two. Um, all right. If you're listening to Jane's report, the stock market is in the tank today. The Dow is down 400 points. The NASDAQ down 293. Uh, un- unlike sometimes when it's just kind of this, this sort of irrational and you can't figure out what's going on, what, what happened today in the stock market initially it was up like a couple hundred points. Um, so what accounts for like the 600-point swing? It's that the, um, the chairman of the Federal Reserve – it came out with statements indicating that they were looking at, at raising interest rates, maybe a half a point in May and then more. Obviously, inflation is a huge issue. And one of the ways the Fed has to control inflation is to make money more more expensive. Now, how does that control inflation? Well, if people have have to pay more to borrow money, they, they rethink it. And so maybe they don't borrow as much, et cetera. So it, it stops as much money from flooding into the economy. So that's kind of a Reader's Digest version of that. So they, they say that they're going to increase rates. And of course, you know, in a rising interest rate environment, that you wonder whether businesses are going to scale back. You know, maybe if it was, you know, it's just the same if you're buying a house. If you're buying a house and the mortgage rate is three percent, 
well, you can you can spend more, you can buy a bigger house maybe than you can if the mortgage rate is 5% or, or whatever that would be. It's the same thing for businesses. If businesses are looking to, for example, expand, you know, you want to you wanna build an addition onto your factory or whatever, well, it's easier to do that if the interest rate is 3% than it is if it's 5% or 6% or whatever. I'm just using those examples. So when the interest rate goes up, like that, it, it makes people wonder, okay, is there going to continue to be expansion, et cetera? So uh, today, that's why I think the stock market is down, Dow down 400 and the NASDAQ down 294. One of the big hits in the stock market over the last couple days has been Netflix. Now, remember how Netflix started. Netflix started as an alternative to blockbuster video. And, and we've, I, I appreciate it. If you are of a certain age and you hear me talk about blockbuster video, you say, what is this blockbuster video that you speak of? I am here to tell you blockbuster video used to be a license to print money. You know, you could go at the 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 new the movies, and this is back when the the movies came out on VHS tapes originally, and then they later on they switched to the um, to the DVDs. But you know, the new movies would come out on Friday. People would flock to Blockbuster Video to rent the new movies, and you could rent them for a couple of days, and then you'd return them on Sunday night. The place was absolutely packed. It was a license to print money. I used to go to the Blockbuster that used to be in uh, Glendale, Port Washington Road, and Silver Spring. And it was packed. Parking lot was just packed on, on Fridays. Well, what happened is Blockbuster Video went the way of, of the dinosaur. Now, I think there's one left in the Pacific Northwest, and, and that's that's it, as did most video rental stores. Why? Because what started out, you know, Netflix came in, and Netflix, they built the better mousetrap. Netflix started with the idea that instead of having to go to the Blockbuster store, you could go to those vending machines and you could get, you know, if you had the card, you could get the the movie and then, you know, you could you could send it back. So they started making it more convenient. And then pretty soon the whole DVD thing uh, just just fell away because of streaming. And so Netflix was the dominant the dominant, they were the first, and they were the dominant player in, in the streaming stuff. And everybody, not everybody, but many, many, many people who are interested in subscribing to streaming services and watching the movies over on their smart TVs, everybody had Netflix. And then Netflix expanded. For first they had movies, and then they had all the TV programs. And then they started with their, like, their individual that shows that they would produce exclusively for Netflix. And everybody flocked to them. And then, then we had the pandemic. And what happened in the pandemic? Well, you know, everybody was stuck at home. So the streaming services, their business just exploded as well because you, you couldn't you, you couldn't go to movies. You couldn't go out. You, you sat at home. So everybody wanted to watch the streaming stuff. Well, that's pretty much come to an end. Uh, Tuesday, after stock market closed, Netflix announced that it had lost 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter. Now, it had projected that they would have growth. They projected that they would sign up 2.5 million customers in the first quarter, January through March. Turned out they lost 200,000 subscribers. So they missed their mark by 2.7 
million customers. They went on to say that that this is going to be part of a continuing trend. They estimate that in the next quarter, they're going to lose 2 million global subscribers. So for the first time really in their history, they're they're starting to lose subscribers. Now, they're still the biggest player in, in streaming. Currently, they have 222 million subscribers. No, nobody else is close to that. But they're not making money like they were. They're not growing their business like they were. And people are, are starting to bail. And as a result of that, the Netflix stock dropped 32% in the last two days. So if you had all your money in Netflix stock, which would be dumb, but if you had all your money in Netflix stock, you got 32% less as a result of what's happened in just the last two days. And I guess the concern is, is are people, are they over-streaming services? Now Netflix is looking at things like, okay, maybe maybe we need to start selling ads. Hulu, which is one of their competitors, Hulu doesn't have anywhere near the number of subscribers that Netflix has, but they make almost as much money because they have ads. They, they, they sell ads on that. Netflix is also, again, they've got issues with people password sharing, where I subscribe to Netflix, but I give eight people my password so they can all use it without having to subscribe, and they're wrestling with trying to crack down on that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, is this just a blip, or are we starting to see a real shakeout in the streaming business? And do you think more people are, are going to either get out of the business, go under, not be able to succeed, or is this just a blip? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually think this is the, the start of of a real shakedown, shakeout in this, because I, I think you, you've had unprecedented growth, but I think there's more and more people who are starting to say, I don't need five or six of these streaming services. I'm going to pick one, and maybe it's going to be Netflix, maybe it's going to be some of the others. But I, I think I think the streaming services and the streaming market's going to look a lot different five years from now than it does now. What do you think? 855-616-1620. And how are you reacting to this? Have you started cutting down on your streaming services? We discuss in just a moment. Oh, by the way, before I forget, if, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 For anybody who didn't think education was going to be a huge issue in the upcoming governor's race, think again. The um, Republican Governors Association is out with this ad about Tony Evers. I've got a link to the ad that's up there. And of course, on Good Friday, hoping nobody would notice, he vetoed a number of the, the bills, bills that would have given parents more or the opportunity to have more of a say in their children's education and would have broken up MPS and all sorts of things like that. You know, he vetoed all those on Good Friday afternoon, hoping that nobody noticed. Well, I, again, th- this is going to be a huge issue. If you want to see that ad, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Okay, the big entertainment news of the last couple of days is Netflix announcing that they, instead of gaining 2.5 million subscribers globally, they'd actually lost 200,000 in the first quarter, first time that's ever happened. So they missed their mark by 2.7 million. Now, they've still got, you know, a couple hundred million subscribers. Their stock took a hit, down 32%. Is Netflix in trouble? Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. My Netflix has been on double secret probation for a while. And I don't think I'm the only one who's who feels this way because of their rising prices. Yep. 
their many competitors, and then just the quality of their programming, I think, is not as good. I'm uh, when Ozark is finished at the end of this month, um, that's where I'm when I'm cutting it off. Okay, so Ozark is of course one of their that's one of their individually produced things. So you're watching that, but that's winding down to an end. There's just not enough other stuff to keep your attention, huh? Yeah, like for every Ozark, there's like ten or twenty other shows where I'll turn it on. And I'll watch it for like ten minutes, and I'll be like, "Oh, this is lame. I don't have to find something else to watch." Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've been binge. I've been trying to watch all the Better Call Saul things because, so I, I'm I'm now on like season four, and so that's been on Netflix. And you know, a couple of their original mm-hmm. programmings like Cheer and Last Chance You, I like. But but in general, most of the stuff they have on there, it, it's. It, it's it's kind of left me cold, so I'm sort of in the the same thing. I, I have it, but it's mostly because of inertia as much as anything else. Yeah, I'm on Better Call Saul too, and then and I would much rather something like that than like that show Her or whatever, where that weird guy, that stalker guy, has like women trapped in his basement and <laughs> stuff like yeah. that. That just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Well, th- th- thanks for calling, Jeff. That that's good. That's good that the show with the stalker, with tra- women trapped in the basement, rubs you the wrong way. If you had any other conclusion than that, I would be troubled by it. But yeah, I <laughs> I, I have no frame of reference because that's that's not even on my list. Uh, let's talk to Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Jeremy. Yeah, I believe there's going to be a, a long exodus from from Netflix. There's just you're not getting as much as you you once were from them. I, when I have Prime, not only do I have the luxury of searching for a movie, pretty much anything I want, and if I like it, I can purchase it, and then I can watch it whenever I want. With Netflix, right. you get like three new movies every three months. You end up watching them real quick, and then you got a basically nothing left, and it's always slow. Sometimes shuts down on you, so it's just not worth it. For Prime, I get more for my money, and it's so easy to start and stop services right. on other million other places. It's like one click of the button, I can boom. Right. All right, I got HBO now. You know, I got Hulu now. I got this now, and yeah. then I can just stop it when I want and I move on to the next. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned Prime. Now I have Prime. I would. This is God's way of telling you you have too much money. Because I, I, I made a list during the break of the different streaming services that we have accumulated. So we have Amazon Prime, but because I'm a Prime member, so that, that comes along with it. Got Netflix. I got Hulu because I, I like some of this programming on Hulu. So I have Hulu, but I, I don't watch it a lot, but I'll watch it for – they just had an eight-part miniseries on um, the Elizabeth Holmes the, the, the uh, called Dropout. I like that. Um, I've got Peacock because – I, I like God help me. I, I like English Premier League soccer, and they have that. And I got Disney Plus. So I mean, I've got all these things. I don't even want to add up how much a month. And see, it, it, they, they sneak in because okay, it's only this is only eight bucks a month, or this is six bucks a month, or whatever. And you don't think of that. But then when I'm starting to make this list, and if my wife is listening, just put your hands in your over your ears, dear. But I mean, it, it probably adds up to a, a relatively significant chunk of change. You know, Netflix. It's a much more competitive environment for the longest time. They were the big dog on the block, not as much anymore. And if their answer is trying to put ads in, I 
And that's where they're going to go with this. There's no question about it. They're going to go with ads because, like I say, Hulu has a fraction of the subscribers that Netflix has. But by selling ads, they they make almost as much money as Netflix does. So the real question is going to be once they start adding ads, is that going to is that going to be the is that going to you know kill the goose that's laid the golden eggs? I I don't know. But I think what's got to happen is I think some just like it's starting to shake out with more and more people cutting the cord. I think. Five years from now, a, a lot of these streaming services that we're talking about, I, I don't I don't see them there. I'm not saying there's not going to be any streaming services. Of course there are. But I think just the competitive pressure. Nowadays, it seems like almost every time you turn on the television, somebody is promoting their plus service. we got CNN Plus. Subscribe to this. We've got you know Discovery Plus, all these different things. And it seems like everybody's trying to do it. I, I think you're quickly reaching the saturation point on that. And this, this Netflix news is one of those. Meanwhile... You know, my advice is do what I'm going to try to do. Go back and look at how many services you have and then look at how much you spend every month. And my guess is it's going to kind of be eye-opening when we come back. Speaking of eye-opening, we'll find out what Melissa and John have on their minds. Stick around. 